Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, we're joined again by Dr. Sung Chan Ra, Professor of Church Growth and Evangelism at North Park University in Chicago. Dr. Ra will be sharing about some of his lived experience around the diversity in our churches and will be challenging us to think about the difference between owning truth and pursuing truth. The leaders who saw themselves as pursuing truth, not owning truth, were the leaders who led movements. Those who felt they owned the truth, possessed the truth, were kind of individuals who wanted to control everything. Those who saw the pursuit of truth uh, were those who would create people movements to bring about profound change. This is the second episode with Dr. Ra. To hear the first one, we encourage you to go back and listen to his conversation with Ing host Dennis Edwards on our very first episode of Ing Podcast. We hope you enjoy this second part of their conversation. I'm thrilled to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Sung Chan Ra, with me today. You, you brought up Black Lives Matter, and I did want to ask you, you're on record, I mean, uh-huh. this was a while ago, of saying that this, this assertion Black Lives Matter is a theological statement. Yes. And, I, and I want to say personally, you've done a lot of, that's, uh, that's helped me, you've done a lot of analysis of uh, African-American Christianity and even mm-hmm. evangelicalism and and, and uh, those, your writings there have been helpful to me. But I want to come back to this. What do you mean when you say Black Lives Matter is a theological <laughs> statement? Yeah, that's got me into trouble, but I'm, I'm oh, going okay. to stick by it. I'm gonna, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to stick by it because I do okay. believe it is a theological assertion. And, and to mm-hmm. kind of set it up in a, in a big picture sort of way, yeah. it goes back to that history. It goes back mm-hmm. to unsettling truths that set up the history. So the history is, is that for centuries and centuries, American society and Western culture as a whole have repeatedly, you know, consistently said black lives do not matter. Mm. It was stated when uh, the slave trade was was initiated. It was stated uh, when uh, black bodies were thrown overboard easily and casually uh, in the transatlantic uh, transport of African Africans from uh, the continent, African continent to the new world. Uh, It was the way uh, African bodies were treated on the plantation, Uh, especially women, uh, African women Mm -hmm. were treated in the plantation. Uh, It was even after Emancipation Proclamation, you see the oppression of black bodies over and over again. Uh, through uh, through uh, indentured servitors uh, sharecropping, uh, through the lynching, uh, through the the devastation of black communities that have been established in the South, and over and over again, you see this in the bombing of four little children in Birmingham. Yeah, you see yeah. the way the dogs attacked children and women, uh, and the fire hoses. So throughout American history, over and over again, from slavery to Jim Crow uh, to the new Jim Crow and the incarceration, mass incarceration of black bodies. Over and over again for centuries, society has said repeatedly, black lives do not matter. And that statement, which is out there, it's, it's again, embedded into our narrative. So that's that kind of social statement, black lives do not matter. You know, for a holy God, that's an offense to what God is, because God created humanity and said it is good. Yeah, and so yeah. in that pronouncement, he said, black bodies are good. Black lives matter. Black lives are of import. And yeah. over and over again, for centuries, our society has said black lives do not matter. 
So God needed to assert his spiritual and biblical truth, which is black lives do matter. Wow. Now, here's the problem. It should have been the church that said that all along. It should have <laughs> been the church yeah, that said, yeah. uh, you know, and we did. We had pockets where abolitionists like Charles Finney, abolitionists right, right. who have said, you know, hey, we can't have slavery anymore. We the uh, Obviously, the, the, the civil rights movement rooted in the church. Uh, but historically, the church has not been at the front line of saying black lives matter. Yeah. So just like in the Bible, it says... If, if we don't clap our hands and, and worship the Lord, what's going to happen? The trees in the fields, mm. the rocks mm. will cry out in our stead. And so when the church refused to say what is a biblical statement, Black Lives Matter, yeah. society said it for us in, and instead of our, in our place. Wow. Uh, so an organization, a movement, uh, a, a phrase was, was brought into our national conversation that should have been the church saying that. We should have been the ones that owned that and trademarked that phrase because it's in our Bible and it didn't happen. And so that's wow. why I'm saying, like, if you're opposing the phrase Black Lives Matter, what mm -hmm. you're doing is standing against God's uh, theological intrusion into a dysfunctional reality. Ooh. God responding to a, uh, a, a heresy, uh, to a, a severe evil statement, Black Lives Do Not Matter, yeah. and God responding I created humanity in my image. Of course, black lives have dignity and they matter. And so for us to stand against that, I would say that that's kind of a theological opposition to the breath of God speaking into our world. Whew. Wow, man, this is, this is, this is really good. Soon Chan. I mean, I, uh, you got me all excited and fired up because I, your affirmation of my humanity, mm. um, and my, um, uh, uh, uniqueness as being yes. created in the image of God is certainly a theological uh, assertion. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. You, you know, you are a dynamic guy, and I'm not just saying that. You're a good preacher. When I was a <laughs> senior pastor at the Sanctuary Covenant Church, we were really excited to get you to come there. Thank and you. I have actually referred to you as a prophet, and I don't know how <laughs> excited you are or how comfortable you are with that, but I, I mean it quite seriously. And in my own book, the recent one, uh, Might from the mm -hmm. Margins, I That's argue, thank you, and I <laughs> argue that prophets typically emerge from marginalized groups. Mm. I'm curious if you would agree with that. I mean, not all prophets, perhaps, sure. but I would say largely. And if you do, what what might be some of the prophetic messages that that you are sensing coming from marginalized Christians these days? Sure, sure. Well, thank you. I'm honored by that. Um, it's also a little frightening because yeah. most prophets didn't have the most, uh -huh, <laughs> the best, uh -huh. best endings in their yeah. story. So. <laughs> I argue that too. So. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm a little nervous about yeah, that pronouncement. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely resonate, you, resonate with you about kind of the, the voices from the margins oftentimes yeah. being... Uh, prophetic, and we've seen this over and over again. Right. Uh, not only in the scriptures, where you see, you know, folks who, you know, like like a Jeremiah, who yeah, is kind of ostracized, exactly. and right. yet he speaks some of the most powerful prophetic words. Um, and also within our our own generation, recently, where you know you have folks who are coming from marginalized oppressed communities, like a Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. who are speaking from the margins uh, on behalf of the marginalized. So I do think there is something powerful about. Um, the word of God coming through the margins rather than those in power. Uh, we saw this in the early church, right? In the book of Acts, where you see, you know, the church growing and impacting the society, not as 
the the uh, vessels of Rome, uh, but as as kind of the society, uh, the the communities that that lived out a different value system in Roman society, not mm-hmm. as part of Roman society in the kind of power sense of the word. Yeah. Um, so so for me personally, this is a, a really important part of my story. Um, that um, you know, my, I as Dennis says, you know, my my mom passed away recently, yeah. um, and I'm I'm still kind of feeling the effects of. Having um, you know a mom who was a prayer warrior who was had incredible spiritual depth and you know it's really shaped me as as a Christian, uh, but you know uh, she was a single mom. Uh, she was raising uh, four kids on her own, and we lived in a rough neighborhood, and we we were operating in the in the context of of, of poverty. Uh, we were on food stamps for a while because we really couldn't afford you know. Uh, uh, trying to make it in in society on on a single mom's income, yeah. uh, my mom worked really long hours to uh, keep her family together. Uh, she worked a, um, a full day shift at an inner city carry out, uh, and then she would work a full night shift at an inner city nursing home. So wow. she was working twenty hours a day, six days a week. One of the hardest working women I've ever known, and she set that example oh for her family. Wow. Uh, but because you know that was not enough money to keep a family of five together, uh, we we were on food stamps for a while, and uh, it was right around that time where there was all this language about you know welfare queens who took money from the government yeah. and you know were lazy and who didn't work hard and you know that really hurt me personally yeah. to say yeah. that you know here is the hardest working woman I have ever met, mm-hmm. uh, working twenty hours a day, six days a week to keep her family together. Uh, and yet it was not enough for us as a family to survive on that income because it was it was just not enough money for, for all five of us. Yeah. Um, and so um, to be labeled an, a welfare queen is really devastating, the, the kind of language that we use around that. Uh, so for me, when I when I see that now, many years later, and having moved with education and with all these opportunities to be in, in, a, in a middle class uh, income bracket, I, I, I struggle with... The, the language around people who need our help right now um, yeah. and that we can't we can't marginalize uh, the people we think who need our help right now and that could be the victim of police brutality that could be a child who is incarcerated on the border towns uh, that could right. be a family that needs some financial help right now uh, unemployment benefits that are that are in desperate need um, and I know that because of my personal experience that's not always because of laziness or unwillingness to work, uh, sometimes there are circumstances that lead to um, a a place of need. Um, And so having had that marginalized experience of poverty, having had that marginalized experience of growing up poor and without all the resources at our disposal, um, I'm a lot more sympathetic to those who are struggling right now in, in challenging circumstances. And so I think to be able to speak prophetic comes out of my personal experience. Yeah. To be able to say, no, it's wrong to label people in this way. No, it's wrong to speak disparagingly of, of, of immigrant communities. It's wrong to speak disparagingly of those who have been marginalized because I've been there and I know, and my mom was there, and I know um, our heart for, you know, for Christ, for, for, for the church, um, those things should not be dismissed because we were on the margins of society. In fact, maybe we need to wow. hear more from the margins of our society. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man. I, you know, God bless you, man, and thank you for sharing that so personally. And 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 um, yeah, and may your mother's memory continue to be Amen. a blessing to you and to so many. Um, 
we're in this political season, and it seems like maybe we mm -hmm. always are, but but some of what you said uh, just triggered some thoughts for me. But I was in my own uh, wonder years, as it were, when the Vietnam War was going on. And mm. um, so I had an older brother who he served a two-year tour. The, the irony, irony is he died after he came home. He was shot wow. up in the Bronx, but that's a whole nother story. But I grew up hearing a lot of anti-war protests. I remember reading the graffiti on the streets, Free Huey, Free Bobby, mm -hmm. Bobby Seal, Huey Newton, mm -hmm. you know, started the Black Panthers. Um, and now I'm seeing young people taken to the streets again. Mm -hmm. And as an older guy, I'm looking at that. And people will ask me, am I encouraged? And honestly, mm -hmm. I, I go back and forth. If I weren't a Christian, there are times I think I'd be terrified mm -hmm. at the way things are moving in our society. Um, so I guess I want to ask you that. Are you <laughs> encouraged? Yeah, well, that's a tough question. Mm -hmm. um, one, I, I, I would, I would affirm that um, it is good for the young people to continue to speak up in the yeah. ways that they can and should. Um, in fact, I would say that one of the concerns I would have as a parent is if, uh, if the children, the next generation, were silent and decided to kind of sit on the sidelines yeah. in yeah. the midst of uh, significant global and national challenges and local challenges. And yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged by the next generation. Um, as, as a parent, I, I want to see the next generation, my children, yeah. um, have the passion and the enthusiasm for, for issues that concern them. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of made fun of the next generation as slackers and all they care about is TikTok dances and Instagram. Mm. And what we're seeing is yeah. th that generation actually wanting to have their voices heard. Yeah. Uh, so even for my children, my, my daughter in particular, she's a college age student who mm -hmm. went out to the protest several times over the summer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she was not destroying property or she was not. Right, right. She was there with her friends, you know, kind of talking with her friends and being with her friends and, and really saying we want to see justice in our society. Yeah. So that kind of ownership, I think, is, is, is something we should encourage or be encouraged by. And especially in the church to say our young people who we thought were slackers or didn't care, they do care. They, their issues are important. Um, and I think sometimes the church forgets that uh, uh, in terms of like values and uh, what's important, uh, it's, not, it's not a bad thing to hear from the, church, uh, from the young people. Yeah. And so, you know, we've been talking about certain issues and say these issues are important. And it's not that it's unimportant, but young people are saying, I think we got to talk about these issues as well. So we've yeah. been saying, read your Bible every day and pray every day. Good stuff. I think we right. should do that. Right. But the young people are saying, but we also want to see racial justice. We also yeah. want to see yeah. care for the environment. We also want to live past this generation uh, and, 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 and see some of the changes that bring about that. So I am, I am encouraged by the younger generation speaking out, and it's an important time to hear them. We're going to take a quick break now to thank our sponsors and invite you to consider sponsoring Ing Podcast. You can also play a big part in helping us spread the word about this podcast by giving our new Facebook page a like and sharing your favorite Ing Podcast episodes with friends, encouraging them to subscribe and join this movement of leading, growing, and being as people of faith. Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everence. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step. 
How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at Everance.com. My kids are all millennials because I'm old <laughs> or getting old. And, uh, and we have a regular conversation every week as a family, even though we're separated mm. by the miles. And, every, and we often talk about voting and it's, uh, you yeah. know, is it efficacious or not? And, and my kids, are they, they're voters and they're mm-hmm. educated voters, but they admit that even though we have kind of gotten to this place where more people have voting rights and stuff, we still have... Um, and I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think we have a racist, sexist, and divisive president, mm. and mm-hmm. and people are continually taken to the streets. So, so what what role might voting play? Mm. And I'm asking you now, I guess, as an ethicist and missiologist, somebody who watches the culture, yeah. and and how might that relate to the bigger picture of activism as you talk about your own kids taken to the streets? Yeah, I mean. You know, when I talk about change and I, I teach yeah. a class on how do we mobilize for change or mobilize for justice. Right. Um, and uh, when I teach that class, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by how many more creative ways that my students come up with on what wow. can be done to bring about change. So yeah. uh, just a couple of examples. One would be when I taught this class at State for Correctional Center a few years ago. Mm. And this is a group that is, you know, the most disenfranchised group. They've lost their rights, yeah. uh, certainly their right to vote, because that's part of the, the punishment right. of, of being incarcerated. Yeah. Uh, but they've also, you know, lost their freedoms. They lost a lot of their the rights that they have as American citizens are taken away when they're incarcerated. And yet this group found extraordinary creative ways to have their voices heard and extraordinary creative ways to bring about change. And uh, one of those things was actually figuring out ways to communicate to uh, the lieutenant governor and the governor of the state of Illinois about the need for uh, parole in, in the state of Illinois. Uh, Illinois is one of the few states without parole. Um, and so these, um, uh, my, my dear students, uh, yeah. inside students said, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. And they've worked together and they've worked with other agencies to try to bring that change. So what I can see is that... Um, the human capacity for creativity, and I would say the church's capacity for creativity. Yeah. We should yeah. never underestimate that to say there are a lot of different ways that we can bring about change. But yeah. I would say, you know, the lowest hanging fruit and the easiest way to yeah. do that is actually voting. Right. So, you know, I, you know, uh, and I, and I especially empathize and sympathize for my, my dear students in, in Stateville who yeah. can't vote, right. who, who've lost that privilege or yeah. who had that taken away. Right. Uh, and so for me to have that low-hanging fruit, that easy access to voting, I just, you know, online, I asked for a mail-in ballot. You know, it took me 15 seconds. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, right. uh, and I can't even do that when I have dear friends who had their, their rights taken away right. uh, for me to do that very basic thing. But I would say that that's not the only way to do it. There are yeah. so many different layers of responsibility. And, you know, I think to some extent that's what Romans chapter 13 teaches us. Not that, you know, we do whatever the government says, but part of it is recognizing we're in a system where yeah. we can bring about change and we're respecting the system, the system of democracy. Yeah. And we are, you know, we are giving, we are giving our credence to that system. But mm. part of giving credence to that system and giving to that authority to that system means participation in the system because that's yeah. what democracy asks of us. Yeah. So voting is, is, is the baseline. But man, there are so many different ways that we can contribute to uh, oh, godly right. wisdom and godly values into this world. 
Oh, man, that's awesome. Thank you. I, man, I feel like I resonate so much with you because even in my answer to my kids, I used the expression low-hanging fruit. I said yeah. the same thing. <laughs> I said that's like the minimum. I mean, because our, our conversation was they were feeling upset with people who say, look, people died for us to vote and, if, mm. and, 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 and basically making voting seem like that's the apex. And mm. I said, I get your point. It's not the apex, but it's the least in a yes. sense. And I said, and if you were to listen, I think, to more of the civil rights leaders who were fighting for the right to vote, they saw that as like the entryway. We yes. get, you know, we can vote, but then there's so much more that we need to be able to do after that. So I'm I'm with you here. Well, I, I do want to shift the thing about the future because we've yes. talked about activism and politics and and you've act, and and you and Mark Charles's book, Unsettling mm-hmm. Truths, talks in some ways about the uh uh, uh mythologies that we operate yeah. with and the and the truths that are that are unsettling. They're uncomfortable. Yeah. But but as we move to the future, what truth uh, do you see kind of, uh, of the church really needing to lean into? What's on the yeah. horizon? And I, and not just the white church in America, but sure, all sure. of us. You know. Yeah. The source of truth for me is is, is God. And, and God speaks truth. And you know, that's why this, when the scripture says, Jesus says, I am the truth. Um, I, I want to engage that truth. And yeah. uh, one maybe distinction would be uh, what I learned in uh, when I was a political science major in, in college, the distinction between truth possessed and truth pursued. And uh, my political science teacher taught me that those political leaders who had a truth possessed mentality were the dictators and the despots. Hitler and Stalin had a mindset of truth possessed. Right. I own the truth. I know the truth. And yeah. I will be the arbiter and dispenser of that truth. I will fix things because I, I own that truth. Yeah. Uh, and they turned out to be some of the most despotic and brutal dictators in human history. Then he compared that to those who had a perspective of truth pursued. Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., hmm. that the leaders who saw themselves as pursuing truth, not owning truth, were the leaders who led movements. Those who felt they owned the truth, possessed the truth, were kind of individuals who wanted to control everything. Those who saw the pursuit of truth uh, were those who would create people movements to bring about profound change. Wow. Now, I think if we look at scriptures, um, there's no question that there is truth. But the question is our relationship to that truth. Do we yeah. own that truth? I, You know, if Jesus is the truth, I, I, I really feel uncomfortable saying I own Jesus yeah, uh, or that yeah. I am the I am the one that you know, arbitrates and decides what is truth. and what is, I feel uncomfortable with that. I What I will do, though, is what Jesus called me to do, which is to pick up the cross and follow him yeah. because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to get to the Father through the truth of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's a truth pursuit idea. I yeah. want to pursue truth. I want to pursue Jesus and in that being that discipleship relationship so that I know the truth better, not that I own it and then I decide the truth for everybody else. And so for me, the some of this, the, polit- the politics and the and the my angst around politics is that most of us operate out of a truth possessed model. But I think the scripture seems to point more towards a truth pursued model. Oh, and uh, what I want to yeah. do in my politics and in my uh my my life and in my pursuit of who god is is really know that um, my heart is to pursue the truth and my heart is to know more about that truth um so i think you know um we've we've developed these kind of like i own the truth and i am the truth and you know i got it all figured out and i'm just not sure that that's the best way to live in our society right now wow man that that's so good i i I, I, I don't want to get in trouble for myself <laughs> thinking this way, but 
But I feel like that applies even as in my biblical scholarship. I, mm. I mean, there are things I have convictions about, things I feel comfortable asserting, yeah, but I always see myself as on a quest, right, yes. to learn the truth and to grow into truth. So I, so I never want to appear like I've arrived someplace, but I yes. do find that sometimes the pressure of evangelicalism is to, is to assert that I've arrived and I own this truth. So I think yes. you, what you said is really very helpful. Well, Soon-Chan, I could, I could talk with you all day about some of this <laughs> stuff, man, because you, you, you've got your wealth of knowledge, but you also have the practical uh, experience to go with it. How can we find you? Are you on social media? How can people find you? I am on social media. Uh, Facebook is, uh, I have a personal page that I'm maxed out, so I can't take any more friends, sorry. <laughs> uh, but I do have an author page uh, uh, that you can kind of sign on to and follow there. Um, I do have a Twitter account at, at Prof Ra, P-R-O-F-R-A-H. Um, I, I'm not good with Twitter. I tend to be more snarky than I should be on Twitter. <laughs> I think Twitter and snark go together, but all right. I think that's the whole intention of Twitter. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll probably link to something on Facebook. I have a little more depth on Facebook, yeah, but yeah. Uh, Twitter is a great medium for, you know, 144 characters of snark. Uh, right. so, but uh, you can follow me on both of those uh, social awesome. media platforms. Awesome. Well, thanks again, my brother. Really glad that you could uh, take some time to share with us what you've been working on, what you're thinking about, and uh, you're just a blessing to the church. So thank you thank for you, blessing us. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you. Yeah. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization, for their ongoing support of Ing Podcast. Today's episode was also supported by Mosaic Mennonite Conference, a community of congregations and nonprofit ministries committed to living like Jesus together in our broken and beautiful world. Find out more at mosaicmennonites.org. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.